0: Okay, I mentioned that uh, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. That makes today Palm Sunday. (laughs) I I don't know if that was mentioned here this morning or not, but, but today is Palm Sunday, what we refer to as Palm Sunday. It's one of the few events in the life of Christ that is recorded in all four Gospels, Now, there's not many of those events that are recorded in all four Gospels. But but Palm Sunday is one that Matthew wrote about, and Mark wrote about, and Luke wrote about, and John wrote about. And it's it's that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the fact that that it is recorded in all four Gospels, I believe, is significant. It's as if each writer felt that their story would not be complete... Without that, a part of it. They just, they had to write that. They had to, conc- had, they had to include that. They felt like that was so important to the whole story of Jesus that, that that had to be. You know, I don't know how they went about writing their Gospels. You know, maybe they first, <laughs> maybe they first did a little, uh, you know, a, a little... Rough draft or something, these are points we want to do, and, and so on and so forth. but, but in, in in all those drafts, the triumphal entry was a point that they wanted to talk about, they wanted to write about. We could say that the triumphal entry into Jerusalem was somewhat of, of the beginning of the end of Jesus' ministry. And, and what a week it was. I mean, just in, in five short days. Jesus went to to being hailed as a hero to being crucified as a criminal on a cross just just in a few short days. By the way, children, do you know why Palm Sunday is called Palm Sunday? Why do we refer to the Sunday before Easter, one week before Easter, why do we refer to it as Palm Sunday? I mean, did it happen in in Palm Beach, Florida, or something, or what? Do you, do you know, children? Any anyone any any of the any of the children have any ideas? Okay, well, we'll we're going to note that here. But see, there was many people that had come into Jerusalem to observe the feast of the Passover, and so there was a lot of extra people there. And when the people heard that Jesus was coming into town, John writes that they took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and they cried, Hosanna! Blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, okay, so they had palm branches, but but do you know what they did with those palm branches? John doesn't say here, it just says they took palm branches. What did they do with the palm branches? Maybe you know what they did with them. Did they make uh, flower arrangements with them or okay? We don't know that either. Okay, well we'll keep on preaching then. So they, they took the palm branches and they waved them in the air and, and they and they put them, you know, they, they took these palm branches and they laid them in the street. Now Jesus was coming through, and we're gonna note he, he came through on a little donkey. They laid these palm branches in the street. And, and, and he rode over them, you know, the donkey, you know, rode over the palm branches, and these, you know, when you think of palm branches, you think of flat, this wasn't, you know, big sticks here and up here, and, you know, you, you know, the donkey didn't have to work to get through the branches, it wasn't that type of branches, they were just flat, like a palm tree, just a flat branch, and th- and that's what they did. And they also laid their their coats, if you had a coat, they took their coat off and laid it in the, in the street, the donkey rode over their coat, and... Um, why do you think they did this? This was kind of unique, perhaps. At least we think it was. But it, it, in truth, it wasn't that unique to them. It was, it was something that they were accustomed to. I read that it, it was a means of showing respect. A means of showing respect. Uh, they would cut down a branch from a tree or a palm tree. Um, they would take their jacket off and they'd lay it in the, in the way. I read that conquerors or fighting men, fighting men who had conquered and came back victorious from battle, or princes or something like that, they were often honored in this way. You know, these things were laid in the street before them when they came back through the town after a, a victory or something. They were laid in the street. It was a way of honoring them, a way of showing respect. Um, yeah, when warriors returned from victory or, or when a king was entering into his kingdom... This often was a common way of of testifying of a joyful and triumphant feeling. Now the palm was specifically an emblem of joy and victory. Uh, Not just any tree uh, was a a symbol of that, but, but the palm tree was. It was an emblem of joy and victory. And it was used by the Roman soldiers, I read, as well as the Jews, as a symbol of peace as well. Victory, joyfulness, triumph, and peace. It it was those feelings. And so they were somewhat familiar with with that. Now, I would like to uh, use Matthew chapter 21 for our text this morning. You can turn to Matthew chapter 21... And we'll look at the, verse, uh, the first 17 verses here. Verse 1 of Matthew 21. And when they drew nigh into Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, And brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees, and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And they said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Okay. What, a, what a, a triumphal entry that was. It would have been very interesting to observe that. Actually, you know, how that, how that looked, how that all took place, very interesting indeed. But I had to think that, you know, down through the years, people have gone out of their way to welcome those who they feel are important Uh, and and i'll note various various examples here one is uh think of sports you know sports teams or or after you know a championship team after they've been victorious in a tournament you know oftentimes when they come back home come back to town you know people are, are lined up at the airport waiting to see them back and and uh they probably have parades in the city, or they might have rallies in the city uh, to welcome them home and and say, "Yeah, good job, you played real well, and we're proud of you," and that type of thing. Um, dignitaries and celebrities are often welcomed back to the city with what they call ticker tape parades, or sometimes they even give them like the keys to the city as a as a gesture of respect and, and honor. Oh, you can think of royalty, when royalty is welcomed into a city, oftentimes they roll out the red carpet, something like that, or they have a special banquet or parties in their honor. And even in our homes, when we're expecting someone special, we go out of our way uh, to kind of tidy up, to make things look extra nice, and, and things are extra clean, you know, because something special is happening. There's a special guest. That's coming, and, and so we do what we can to welcome them. Well, you know, about 2,000 years ago, uh, Jerusalem also had a special visitor, very special visitor, and that was Jesus. Now, Jesus had been into the, the city of Jerusalem many a time. This was not by any means the first time he came through. But he came this way, this time he came in a very unique way. This was a a different way that he had ever come before. In fact, on this day, he presented himself in fulfillment of scripture. And it was a scripture that no doubt many of the people were, were familiar with. At least if they read the scripture, if they were people who were into the scripture, no doubt they had heard this scripture before. But on this day, Jesus rode into the city of Jerusalem in a way that it openly revealed who he was. It told him, it told them something very important about who he was. Now, you realize that up to this point in Jesus' ministry... Uh, he he tried to keep quiet to a certain extent um, who he really was. He would often tell people that don't don't say much, don't spread this all around. Keep my identity secure. That that kind of, of feeling, you know. Often when he healed people. He would tell them, just go their way, keep this to yourself, don't make a big stir about this. I noticed in the Gospel of Mark, just in three chapters right in a row, it was either in healing people or in other situations that he said this same thing. It says, he charged them that they should tell no man. He charged them that he should tell no man. And so this was, up to this point in Jesus' ministry... This was was the attitude of kind of keeping undercover. See, his time had not yet come. And that's another thing we read in Scripture that, you know, don't tell, don't spread this because my time has not yet come. Well, today there's a change, though. In the story today, there's a change in Jesus' ministry. And he realizes that, yes, his time, in fact, is now coming. And so on this day, Jesus begins, in a sense, to, to draw attention to himself. Why is this? Well, I believe that certainly Jesus knew all things. Jesus knew that that he was on a mission. Jesus knew that the Father's will for him. Well, he knew he was here to do the Father's will. And a part of that will, a great part of that will, was, was giving his life for the people. Was sacrificing himself for us. For all mankind, and so as we read here in 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 Matthew twenty one, we can understand that he knew that this time was just around the corner. That this this time, the end of his ministry on earth was was beginning to end. He knew that time was quickly coming when he must finish that work by dying on the cross. You know, in the past, he had kept some of these things secret, but not anymore. It was no longer necessary to do that, you could say. And so Jesus is now headed to Jerusalem with, with much purpose uh, because he is about to fulfill an age old prophecy. He is about to present himself as the king of Israel, as the deliverer, the one who, who has been prophesied about. As the Messiah. Now hundreds of years earlier. The prophet Zechariah wrote these words. And we read them in Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion. Shout O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt. The foal of an ass. And so now Jesus is about uh, to fulfill that in much detail. <laughs> it's interesting to me, uh, you know, and this is just a little side note here: how 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 Scripture is fulfilled in such detail, and we see that in various examples, uh, and this is just one of them. But hundreds of years ago, it had been told what was going to happen. Various details. And now in the story today, yes, it's just, like, it's just like it was said. It speaks of the faithfulness of God. And we can trust in Him. We can trust in Him. He keeps His word. I can imagine with that said, that when the crowds heard that this Jesus was coming into town and that he was going to be or that that he was riding on a donkey you know they didn't have they couldn't text or they didn't have facebook or they didn't have instagram or all those things they they couldn't get the word out that fast but word of mouth was pretty fast too uh, back in those days as is today and and perhaps i can imagine when they heard that jesus is coming into town and guess what he's riding on a little donkey when that word started going out Perhaps it clicked in people's minds, at least those who who were familiar with Scripture. Perhaps it clicked in their mind that, hey, I've read a Scripture that that talks about this. Perhaps this is the time. This is our King, the one that we've read about. He's coming just like the prophet said. You know, finally a King that will deliver us from the rule of the Romans. And you can imagine that thought and that idea uh, would have created quite a stir. Quite a stir. There was a celebration for the Jews. This is the time that we've been waiting for. And so they cried, Hosanna, which is the Hebrew expression of the the word save. Save us. Save us. (laughs) That's what they were crying. Save us from the Romans. Deliverance. However, as we all well know, it wasn't like they thought. It just wasn't like they thought. You know, Zechariah had prophesied that that this king would come and that he would bring salvation, but it wasn't a temporary physical salvation, deliverance uh, from, from Rome no it wasn't at all instead it was a an eternal a spiritual deliverance from the power of sin from the power of satan that was the deliverance this king was bringing i had to think of the contrast between how the people were feeling and how jesus no doubt was feeling Jesus knew how the people were feeling. I can, I can imagine that Jesus was thinking, if you would only know, if you would only know. You know, as he walked that road to Jerusalem uh, with his disciples for the very last time, I can imagine that his heart was very heavy. This wasn't necessarily a triumphal entry for Jesus. <laughs> If you think about what he was facing, and you think about uh, what that meant to him, he did, his flesh did not want to go through with that. This was not a feeling of triumph for the flesh at that point. Yet the people were looking at it that way. I'm sure his heart was very heavy as he knew full well what this week would bring. He knew full well the terrible suffering that he would have to endure just in a few short days. Uh, He had to finish the work that his father sent him to do. And so I believe that in the flesh, uh, he was very faint hearted. Yet in the spirit, we know that he was resigned to do the father's will. He was committed to going all the way. Because just, just in several days we read that He was there in the garden saying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. And nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. And so He was committed to going through with it. Well, I'd like to title this message, Thy King Cometh, and that's taken uh, from, from Zechariah 9 verse 9. Thy King Cometh. And as we look at Matthew's account here of the triumphal entry, I would like to just focus mainly on on the way that he came. The one way that he came into Jerusalem. And at the very end of the message, we'll note just briefly another way. But for the most part, Jesus came as a humble king. Jesus came as a humble king. As I thought about this, uh, the words of a song popped in my mind. It was a song that that I sang with with my school class years ago as a little boy uh, back at Barnwell, South Carolina. It must have been a spring program or an Easter program, something like that. And and the song was, How Should a King Come? And, And the first verse says like this, Even a child knows the answer, of course. In a coach of gold with a pure white horse. In the beautiful city in the prime of the day. And the trumpets should cry and the crowds make way. And the flags fly high in the morning sun. And the people all cheer for the sovereign one. And everyone knows that's the way it is done. That's the way a king should come. And we say, well, yeah, that, that would be the fitting way for a king to come. After all, that's, that's what the people were prepping for when they, when they threw the palm branches on the, on the way there, took off their coats and laid them on the ground. They were prepping for, for the way a king should come. And so we could agree that yes, Jesus could have come into Jerusalem that way. He could have rode into the city, with a lot of pomp and circumstance, he could have put on a tremendous display of glory if he would have so desired. Because after all, he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's worthy of that kind of glory, no doubt. But he didn't choose to do that way. He didn't choose to come to Bethlehem uh, 33 years earlier that way either. He he came into this world. In a cattle stall, in a very lowly way. And yes, there was some fanfare. Uh, The heavens made his presence known. The angels told the story. And then the shepherds took that story. But Jesus came in perhaps the lowliest way. And here, on this day, Jesus also came into Jerusalem as a humble king. Perhaps. The lowliest kind of way. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek or lowly, sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. Or, in other words, what he's saying, not only was he sitting on a donkey, but he was sitting on, on the colt. <laughs> he, wasn't just, he was sitting on a yearling. This wasn't just a, a big, full grown donkey, this was the little one. This was the little one. And so, no, Jesus didn't come riding into Jerusalem like like the rulers of the day did on a horse, which was a, a symbol of military and power and, and and is a warlike symbol. Instead, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, rode into Jerusalem that day on a little donkey, which, by the way, a donkey was it was the symbol of peace i 'm told or I read I should say that back in that day when a ruler rode into a city and and he wanted to he wanted to speak peace, this was on peaceful terms you know i 'm not out to get you I'm not, i don 't have a sword you know tucked away ready to this is a peaceful thing. He would ride in on a donkey now if it was if it was a military presence and, and they were out to, to for action and, and ready to go they rode on the horse. But if this was a peaceful gesture, they rode in on a donkey. I don't know if that always happened, but, but that, was, that was known to be somewhat of a symbol of peace. Well, here we have Jesus, the Prince of Peace, riding on a donkey, the symbol of peace. And what a sight that, that must have been, if you think about it. You know, so, so uh, Zechariah says that, that this wasn't uh, just... <laughs> It wasn't just uh, the, the moment. Well, no, not Zechariah. We read that here. Um, let's see where it is in Matthew 21. No, it, it, is, it is in, in Zechariah 9, uh, verse 9. Of course, that is, uh, that is prophesied and spoken of right here in twenty-one, is Matthew 21 as well. But it wasn't just the donkey. It was the colt. It was the yearling. And so Jesus is riding into Jerusalem that day on this little donkey. Uh, he's a full-grown man, and, and more, more than likely, <laughs> his feet are, are kind of, you know, bouncing off the ground on either side. It, it, it looks like a joke almost, perhaps, to some people. You know, perhaps some people were laughing, I don't know. And nonetheless, it was a very humble scene, a very humble scene. And, and I don't know, but in Matthew 21 here, we read that the, the donkey and the little colt were together. Jesus said, bring them both. Bring them both together. And so you could picture in your mind the mama donkey, you know, trailing behind, kind of eagerly behind Jesus in the little colt. We're making, we're, we're drawing a picture in our mind. I realize this isn't all listed here in scripture, but we're putting a picture together of perhaps how this humble scene looked. A picture of humility. You know, at another time, Jesus, Jesus had said of himself, he said, I am meek. And lowly in heart. And now we have another proof. Of the truth. Of his own words. As he is putting that into action. I am meek. And lowly in heart. The way that Jesus came into Jerusalem that day. Tells us something else. It definitely tells us that he's humble. A humble king. But it also tells us. That our king is approachable. Our king is approachable. He didn't come as this high and mighty, out of reach, real stern type ruler. No, that's not how he came. But he was friendly. He was gentle. And people of all classes of society and people of all age groups were attracted to him. They were attracted to him. There was something about his manner, something about his, his concern for the needs of people that drew people to him. Uh, the children loved him. Older people came to Jesus. Rich people came to Jesus. I think of Nicodemus and, and, and others. Uh, the rich young man came running to Jesus. For some answers in life. Of course, he wasn't completely satisfied with the answer, but rich people came to him. Poor people came to him. Uh, Jesus discussed things with righteous people, but he also discussed things with sinners. I'm saying all of society was attracted to Jesus, which just in, it, in and of itself speaks to me. You know, what kind of a person are we? Can, do we have a ministry that people feel comfortable coming to us and talking? Or do we live a life do we do things? Do we, do we say things? Do our actions keep some people at bay? Oh, well, no, it's no point me talking to him. or, You know what I'm saying. Jesus was approachable. People were attracted to him. It tells me today that, that I, can, I can approach him with, with whatever needs I have. And you can approach him with whatever needs you have. His ear is always open to our cry. And we read in Hebrews, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's true for us today. Jesus came as a humble king. He was meek. He was gentle. He was tender. And going back to the the mama donkey and the little colt, I see that tenderness of Jesus coming through in that little detail. Jesus said, bring them together. I, he only could sit on one at a time. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't. I don't think he sat on both of them. I don't think he traded off halfway through the, through the parade or anything. We, the Bible says he rode the small one here. But he said, bring them both. Bring them both. To me, that's just a, a little clue of, of his tenderness. He didn't, he didn't feel necessary to part them. Uh, that would be perhaps painful to him and to the, and to the uh, perhaps more so to the little donkey and the mama donkey. Um, yes, yeah, a small thing, but it warms my heart to consider that, that it, ge- it gives me a glimpse into the heart of Jesus. You see, that's, that's our King. That's our King. And I say this morning, dear people, how blessed we are to be ruled. By such a king. A king that has a tender heart. That loves us. That is approachable. That we can just come to. In time of need. Adam Clark wrote this. He says this entry into Jerusalem. Has been termed the triumph of Christ. The triumphal entry. And he says it was indeed. The triumph of humility over pride. Of poverty over affluence, of meekness over, I'm sorry, of meekness and gentleness over rage and malice. He is coming now meek, full of kindness and compassion to those who were plotting his destruction. He comes to deliver up himself into their hands. Their king comes to be murdered by his subjects and to make his death a ransom price for their souls. As I pondered the humility of Jesus, I was drawn to a certain phrase here in verse 3. Matthew 21 verse 3. And that phrase is, The Lord hath need of them. Jesus said, Okay, disciples, you two go, and this is what you're going to find. I want you to bring them, loose the the donkey and the colt. And if someone is standing there and says, "Hey, Hey, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? This is, these, these are my donkeys. Just tell them, the Lord has need of them. And they'll let you go. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> they, uh, it doesn't say it here, but in some of the other Gospels, it said that, yeah, they were stopped. And they said, what are you doing? And they said, the Lord hath need of them. Okay. All right. <laughs> now, I don't know if, if the owner knew what was meant there. I mean, what Lord are we talking about? I mean... You know, did they know? We're not sure how much they knew. But they said, the Lord hath needed them, and that's all it took. Sure, you can use them. The Lord hath need. That struck me in a, in a new way. What a strange thought. The Lord hath need. Now, I believe that we would agree that as God, Jesus really doesn't need anything. Anything. I mean, Jesus is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is truly self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. In other words, He is completely able to live and function without any outside help. He is completely capable of providing for Himself. He is not dependent On you or me for anything. He really isn't. When did God ever need anything? But yet this was the paradox of Jesus' ministry here on earth. The Apostle Paul said, Though he was rich, yet for for your sakes he became poor. The paradox. Someone has has wrote these words. He owned all things, yet he possessed nothing. He created the stars, yet he had nowhere to lay his own head. He fashioned everything there is out of nothing, yet he had to borrow a boat from which to preach the gospel. He created every drop of water that exists in the world, yet he cried, I thirst, when he was dying on the cross. He created every tree, but he died on a borrowed cross. He created every rock, but he had to borrow a tomb in which to be buried. Yes, this is the paradox of his life. Second Corinthians 8, 9. For ye you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. And we could ask the question, why? Why did he do this? And the Apostle Paul writes, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Wow. It was for our benefit that we could experience the riches of heaven, that we could experience the riches of eternal life. He made himself poor so that we could be rich for our benefit, for our eternal good. And so yes, though he is God and truly doesn't he doesn't need anything Yet the Lord has chosen to need things. And in this account, I know three things that he needed. First of all, he needed disciples. He needed those two disciples to go fetch the donkeys. Uh, he needed a donkey. <laughs> he also needed devotion. Disciples, donkey, and devotion. Now, he needed those disciples uh, to assist him in his work. He asked them, go fetch a donkey for me. And I'm challenged by their response here in verse 6 where it says, The disciples went and they did as Jesus commanded. Yeah, this might have sounded funny. I don't understand this. What? Just go get it. What do we need a donkey for? You know, they could have had all kinds of questions in their minds. We simply read that they went and did as they were commanded. Jesus needed a donkey to carry him through the streets of Jerusalem. He also needed a donkey in order to fulfill scripture in detail which happened. And Jesus needed devotion and he got plenty of devotion that day. And we read that throughout the gospels in each of these accounts they all they all clearly say that Jesus was praised, he got glory, he got devotion that day. Let's just read Luke's account briefly, just several verses. Turn to Luke chapter 19, and note the devotion uh, that we have here. Luke 19, starting at verse 37. This is what we read. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitudes said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. In other words, he was saying, I will be praised. I will be honored. If people don't do it, other things will. All nature will honor me, will glorify me. Jesus needed devotion that day and he got plenty of it. You know, certainly he was and he still is today The worthy king, the worthy king. The Lord hath need, the Lord hath need. He had need that day. And the truth is, the Lord still has need today in some similar ways. The Lord has chosen to need us to help build the kingdom of God. To assist him in his work. We are to be His hands. We are to be His feet. We are to be His mouth in speaking the truth of God's Word. We are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. I wonder this morning how our response compares to the two disciples there in verse 6 where they went and they did as Jesus commanded. The Lord needs you. The Lord needs me. He needs us all to be active in the work of the kingdom. You know, and just as Jesus needed that donkey uh, to carry him through the streets of Jerusalem that day, he needs us today to be that humble vehicle that carries his love, uh, that carries the gospel message to the hearts of people. Jesus left us with that command to go and to teach and to preach the gospel. And then someone has said, and use words if necessary. In other words, our life needs to speak for Jesus Christ. It's not just in what we say, but, but backing that up needs to be a pattern of life that says yes, amen to that. Jesus needs us to be that humble vehicle to carry The love of Jesus. Now, in order to be of use to Jesus, in order to be of use in the kingdom of God, we must be broken. We must be broken. You see, Jesus was riding on a donkey that the scripture says, whereon never man had sat before. But Jesus broke that donkey. Jesus also wants to break us. Jesus wants to have full control of our life. I say it's, it's of utmost importance. It's vital in order for us to be useful in His kingdom. To be people that have been broken of our will, broken of our way. And then... Jesus also needs our devotion today. Uh, He needs our love. He needs our adoration. He needs our time. He needs our talent. And and He even needs our money. Can you believe it? He even needs our money. Uh, The scripture says that that He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and, and yet He needs our money in order for the work of Jesus Christ to go forward. And so, yes, we take up offerings. We give to charitable causes. We we give to the work of the church. We give to the work of the ministry in order to help the kingdom of God, to help the gospel message be preached, to be made known. I believe a genuine response such as this gives clear evidence That Jesus is the king in our lives. There's something about that that speaks volumes. When we are willing to give of ourselves for the good of the kingdom. Well as, as I bring this message to a close. I want to mention one other way that Jesus came into Jerusalem that day. Yes he did come as a humble king. But he also came as a powerful king. He displayed a power that day that is unmatched. No other king could ever match the power that Jesus had when he rode into Jerusalem that day. And I'll note four things. First of all, he displayed his powerful foreknowledge when he told those two disciples in detail about fetching the donkey. And both Mark, the accounts in Mark, and Luke, they both record that the disciples found it exactly like he said. They found it exactly like he said. I say, that's power. That's a powerful king that has foreknowledge like that. He also displayed his power when he rode into Jerusalem meekly on an unbroken donkey. I just mentioned that. but, But he rode meekly into Jerusalem on an unbroken donkey... Now, I'm quite sure that if any other king would have tried that, it would have ended in disaster. I mean, we don't call... You know, if, something, if someone else would have tried that, we wouldn't have called it a triumphal entry at all. We would probably... That's what you call a rodeo, okay? When people try to ride an unbroken horse or an unbroken donkey. But, it, but the scripture says that, that he rode meekly. Meekly. Riding on an unbroken donkey. You see... Jesus knew that donkey in a way that no one else knew that donkey. Jesus also displayed his power a little bit later in our, in our verses here. When in his righteous anger he, he cleaned house. He went into the temple and he set things in order. Jesus also displayed his power in a way that no other king could When the blind and lame came to him and he just so lovingly and completely, he healed them. He healed them. I say that's a powerful king. That is a powerful king. A power that is unmatched. Well, that's the king that we serve today. Praise God. That's not just a story from the gospel you know, of Matthew that happened some years ago, and oh, that's, that's nice, boy, that's, that's nice. No, it's more than that. <laughs> yes, it is a story, but it doesn't stop there. That is the king that we serve today. That humble king, but yet that powerful king. How should a king come? Well, many years ago, Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, in a lowly way on the back of a little donkey, but I just want to note here in closing that one day Jesus will ride on a white horse with authority and much power. I invite you to, to uh, Revelation 19 to close here with this picture in our minds of the power of the king, King Jesus. One day he will ride a white horse Power and glory. Revelation 19 starting at verse 11. This is John the Revelator writing here. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. These are beautiful verses here. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh. A name written. King of kings and lord of lords. <laughs> what a beautiful picture. A conqueror. One with authority. And his people with him. Those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb. Those who are wearing white garments. That, I trust that's you and me one day. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful so that we can ride with him one day in white. And I thank God this morning for the faithfulness of the word that teaches us more of God and his ways. I'm thankful for a humble king. And that's a challenge for each of us this morning to be people that pattern our lives after his way, ways of humility. May the Lord bless you. Roland. we'll have a closing song.